Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Do remember that this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. In today's story, we're going to cover bisexuality and the transition to non-monogamy. Joining me is Elle, who's a bisexual woman in a long-term relationship with a man. She's recently moved into a polyamorous way of of living. Welcome to the show. Hi. So how... Can you tell us a little bit about your background to start? Of course. Uh, I'm a uh, white cis woman. Um, I was born and brought up in Wales, um, first language Welsh speaker. Um, yeah, uh, so had fairly traditional, like, very happy childhood, um, raised by both parents and little brother. Um, and uh, yeah, then I, I came over the border to England when I was 16 to go to school, and I've lived here ever since. Cool. So what was your first kind of awareness of sex and sexuality? Um, So I don't remember being, I mean, I remember when we were very small children, occasionally kind of playing with other children, kind of, you know, show me your willy, I'll show you your bum kind of stuff. So those very normal uh, early um, uh, interactions with other children. But as far as being kind of aware of myself as a sexual being, that that really I don't remember that being really part of my childhood very much um you know I, I think I remember I was quite late in kind of getting a, a, a boyfriend I think I didn't get a boyfriend until I was 12 or something um and yeah so that was the first time I'd even kissed another boy um and I didn't yeah it just wasn't something that was hugely on my radar I was I was very aware of kind of fancying boys and uh, you know I read Just 17 magazine and that kind of thing but um as being sexually active wasn't something that happened until then uh, my first sexual experience actually was at 13 I had a boyfriend who was 16 and yeah we uh, we it's, it's a funny way of describing it we slept together or he slept with me he had sex with me um and I guess now you would call it statutory rape but that wasn't something that I would I identified with at the time. It was something so, that I knew that I was uncomfortable with. You were uncomfortable at the time and really didn't want to do this. Yeah, it was, well, it was more, I was uncomfortable at the time it was happening. And also while it was happening, I didn't really know that that's what was happening. I, did, I kind of, I guess I didn't have enough sexual education to know that what was happening to me was me losing my virginity. Really. Right. So this is sex, and, and, and this is the loss of your virgin. None of that figured in. It was just this thing that was happening. Well, no, I didn't. I think afterwards I did. You know, I went and told my best friend, oh, I, I, I had sex. I, I've lost my virginity. But as it was happening, 
it wasn't something I wanted to be happening. Um, but I also wasn't aware that I had a choice in that. Right. Something that I've spoken to um, kind of survivors of more serious sexual abuse about that actually when you're a child, you don't know that you have the right for this not to be happening to you. Well, it's an interesting one because actually, depending on um, a lot of factors, you may or may not know that, right? Yeah, so, exactly. so um, unfortunately, not a lot of um, teaching has gone on around this is your body and it, mm. it, it belongs to you. I think right. it's getting so much better now. I, th I feel like now children are taught more, even even to the extent of you know not making children have to kiss the you know the slightly smelly auntie or whatever. Yes. That, that you know that, that you don't have to have these physical connections with people. Um, and you know what I'm talking about, like kind of uh, early '90s, and I'm sure in the kind of '80s and early '90s and stuff that people weren't so aware of having. Uh, having choices about their own body, even mm -hmm. more so, I think, uh, as women in relationship with men or as girls in relationships with boys, that there were certain things sexually expected of you that you you couldn't choose not to do right. without fear of being shamed uh, or, yeah, called frigid or whatever. Right. So that just doesn't sound like it made for a very good first experience. No, and I've been kind of, I've been uh, reflecting on this quite a bit recently, especially with the kind of opening up of our relationship of, of how that was my first sexual experience. And that definitely made me pull back from sexual experiences after, because that was, a, I mean, he was my boyfriend and we, but we broke up shortly afterwards. Um, and then it was very interesting as well how then within the kind of school, because, you know, the gossip and settle tattle kind of most people knew that this had happened. And then I was being approached a lot for sex by other boys and older boys then because I was I was seen as fair game. Uh, but that was something that I was then scared of. And I'd, I'd pulled back from that a lot and, and kind of uh, didn't have then any other sexual experiences really until I was 16 and met the boy who is now my husband. Right. And so, yeah, there was a kind of a real uh, naivety, I guess, uh, um, of, of, you know, having had that unhappy sexual experience. You know, I still I still kissed boys and had boyfriends and stuff, but the, the kind of more uh, serious sexual activity was something that I, I wasn't that comfortable with. Yeah. And then I kind of found this safe haven in this lovely person. Yeah. So when did, did you... When did you realize that you were bi? Um, I mean, I guess I only came out to myself in the last kind of few years, but mm -hmm. it's always been something that I've been aware of, that I've been sexually attracted to other women. I've been, um, you know, I fantasized about other women and, and I would occasionally watch uh, porn with, for just women, with just women in it. Um, but... Um, I guess because of having been in what was a monogamous relationship since I was 16, it was kind of a non-issue. Um, mm -hmm. Because, and that's been really interesting. Also, recently, when I, when you know, I've been talking to my closer friends about um, uh, being bi and also about being non-monogamous, uh, people, people find my sexuality a lot easier to deal with than my relationship. Uh, identity because right. being you know being pansexual or bisexual or or queer uh, is is really m more accepted now by society whereas I think um, being non-monogamous threatens people's own sense of 
of how they want to live their life more. Yes. I think people find non-monogamy more threatening than a change in sexuality. I, I, I think I'd have to agree. I mean, I think that um, in part because we've been talking about bisexuality a far longer, I think, yeah. in, in sort of the more public open domain, that there's mm. some level of some level of acceptance, although although there's still huge issues with bi, bisexual invisibility. And um, bisexual erasure and denial. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I mean, I do think that there's, um, there is, a, but there's a degree to which the idea that you might have a sexuality other than heterosexual is, expect, is accepted, right? Mm, maybe yes, not, maybe yes. not what it is, but that's accepted. And that sort of thing's something that people can get their head around. But the idea that you might choose to live in a more non-monogamous way really isn't there yet. That's still no. so much more threatening, and particularly to people who are living in heteronormative monogamous relationships, it's, it's incredibly threatening. There are ideas I think like... It's, and it's even more threatening to people living in those kind of relationships who may have a curiosity about other people sexually. I mean, who doesn't? Um, but, or who might be a little bit bored sexually in their relationship, but it just feels like so much of a bomb to be putting under your life that yeah. they, they wanted to be not a good thing so that it's safe to sideswipe it to see like that that is obviously wrong and that's why i'm not doing it rather right. than it being a conscious choice not to do it yeah right. yeah yeah okay. so i mean i guess but but um yeah bisexuality it was something that i it was it was increasingly becoming i was increasingly becoming aware that this was something that i was now hiding from my most important other person in my life and i felt like i wanted to tell him partly as a way of of kind of hashing it out with myself with being able mm -hmm. to talk it through with someone um but also I felt like I didn't want there to be a part of me that he didn't know that I didn't yeah. want there to be like a secret sexual part of me and he's he's wonderful he's uh like he's very progressive and you know, he he um works um to a certain extent on uh, on gender uh politics and we talked about the kind of repression of female sexuality and things like that anyway so I kind of knew that intellectually he he would be it wouldn't be a shock to him it wouldn't be something that he wouldn't be able to discuss but he was just I was I, I kind of put it to him in a way that look I you know these there are feelings I've been having for women this is something that I feel like I want to do but I'm telling you because I want you to know this about me not because I have to be pursuing it I just want you to know about it and he was so so kind of I, I don't want to be the reason that you don't do something that you want to do. I don't want to be the reason that you look back in your 70s and wish that you'd had more sexual experiences with women. Um, so he was very, very enabling. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, I know a lot of people don't have that experience when yes. they come to this later in life and they end up in the position where they're being told they need to choose. Um, mm. and, and that's a really difficult position, I think, for people to be in. Um, so yeah, I think wearing we're incredibly lucky that we, you know, we, we, we started going out with each other when we were 16, when we were children and when we were, we were quite different people, to be honest, to who we are now. We're lucky that we have kind of grown up and still been, you know, still been two people who want to be together, but that we ended up with, with, with people who could allow us 20, almost 20 years later to kind of have this different path through our relationship I feel yeah. very yeah very lucky in having such an understanding partner that I happened to find when I was 16 yeah 
So how do you, how has the what the transition for you been into moving um, to more openness? And what kind I mean, of openness did you choose? So to start with, like we've taken it very slowly, which I mean, in reading all the books and stuff, it does say take it slowly. And we've managed to do that, uh, I guess, because to start with, the openness was just me with other women. And I always presented it to him as, you know, I, it's not fair for me to be the only one having all the fun here. So obviously you are entitled to do other things, you know, to be with other people who take your fancy. And, you know, obviously when it's, it's consensual and it doesn't hurt anyone. I, I really like the term ethical non-monogamy, actually. Yeah. You know, you're, you're choosing pleasure, and, but that it's not hurting anyone, that it shouldn't be hurting anyone. Yeah. Um, but... Um, he he doesn't identify as bisexual. I think um, intellectually and emotionally, he he would kind of like to find his gay side. But you know, I, you know, on the Kinsey scale, if you're not there, you're not there. I guess, yeah. Mm. Um, but but then you know, as I'd experimented with more women and been to uh, parties for for gay and bi and curious women um, uh, in London. Uh, then he he ended up um, sleeping with a couple of other people and we had talked about me sleeping with other men and it, it was more kind of look I guess in future it might be something I'm interested in but that's that's not the purpose of opening up the relationship because what I feel like I'm missing is exploring this different side of my sexuality and exploring sex with women um, but then when he slept with other women he said I kind of I feel like I would now be really um, uh, hypocritical in saying I'm not comfortable with you sleeping with other men because I've had this experience and now so I can see that sex is just fun with other people and it didn't affect how I felt about you emotionally or sexually mm. um, so but, but so now I have I have another male partner and I occasionally have casual sex with other people I have a female partner as well um, and a male partner he has a couple of other female partners um, but we're both kind of open to other things as and when they come along. But I guess when you've got, you know, a few partners, you don't tend to have time for that much, like, extra casual sex anyway, when you've got kind of more regular people. Yeah. So you went from starting with sexual experiences to actually having relationships. and st So more polyamory than, exactly. um, than non-monogamy yeah. per se. And I think, you know, if you, um, I mean, I don't know how much I'm, I'm attached to any particular labels, but yeah. if you wanted to kind of label the journey that we've been on, we kind of went from being monogamish to an open relationship. And now I think we would identify more as polyamorous because we've ended up pursuing more kind of emotional connections with fewer number of, fewer numbers of people um, and finding that actually that's the part that we really enjoy partly because I guess we've been together since we were so, so young, we didn't have the kind of the dating experiences. We didn't even date each other. We kind of asked each other out over a, over a bar of chocolate or something. I think we might have even said my friend fancies your friend. You know, it was that kind of thing. We were so young. Yeah. Um, whereas now we get to kind of go on dates with people. And that's something that had been missing from our sexual experience. Like my, one of my friends says it's like dating in reverse. You're like, you're doing all your teenage stuff now, like, you know, the odd occasional casual fling and then otherwise kind of dating and being excited about seeing people. And that's a really nice thing to be able to talk to each other about. I kind of feel sorry for some of my close female friends who I used to talk to about sex a lot. Now I talk to him about 
sex a lot. It's nice the kind of completion of our relationship because I guess there was always, you know, if you fancy other people, you tend to not talk to your partner about that. But it's kind of nice to have that as a, something to gossip about as well between ourselves. Yeah. So it works really well for you that uh, the the ability to communicate about it and, and yes. kind of keep each other up to date on what else is going on. Do you do any um, kind of extended family stuff, metamors? And I mean, it's so many different a- names for it, but... Well, actually, uh, yesterday we had our first kind of play session with one of his partners and her main partner and me. So the four of us kind of did some uh, some playing together, uh, and that was fun. Um, and he's met one of my partners, but not the other. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we're still kind of we're still working our way through this. We're still kind of finding what works and what doesn't. And I'm not saying that it's all been easy either. I mean, there have been bumps in the road. There have been times, especially because we both work away quite a lot. And the times where we're not spending enough time together tends to be where jealousies and insecurities crop up. And, um, you know, you need, you need the time, don't you, to, to talk these things through and to, to reassure each other. Um, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't like the term hierarchical polyamory, but, but the, you know, the, the plain fact is we've been in a relationship for, for 18 or 19 years. You know, it's, he's always going to be the most important person in my life. That's, so yeah. let's talk about that for a second. I mean, I don't like the term either, but I think there's a reality. If you marry somebody and you're living yeah. with them and you don't live with your other partners, there is an inherent hierarchy. There can't yeah. not be. I, exactly. you know, I'm married to a man and we pay bills together. We raise a child together. Yeah. We share a house um, we share in-laws, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the reality is, is that unless we were going to bring somebody to live in the house with us. As an equal partner. As, a, as, yeah. as an equal partner, even though it couldn't be a legal marriage, but on the level of a marriage, on that yeah, level of commitment. Trouble. Yeah. That's right. Unless mm. we were going to live as a triad or live as a quadruple or whatever, there's always going to be yeah, and in a hierarchy, I ha- I have responsibilities to him, and he has them to me. Yeah, in a way that you don't have to other people. And actually, at the at the moment, I feel like I don't want to have towards other people either, because because you know emotionally, I feel completely fulfilled by what I have with him. Um, yeah. yeah, and but but you know, I have been kind of doing some reading around things like. Um, you know, your non-primary partners and making sure that they feel like they have rights so that even when they're aware that they're not your primary partner because they're not married to you, they're not spending like almost all their free time with you, but that they're not lesser somehow. Yeah. And it, but it, it's, it's always a fascinating one to me, the way that people kind of decide and interpret this, because a lot of the feelings and the, and the squabbles and the emotions around this come from a completely monogamous model. Yeah. Right. When you yeah. start talking about lesser or more and things like yeah. this, and you want to make sure they don't feel lesser, it's because they're looking at marriage as the pinnacle. And yeah. if they're looking at that as the pinnacle, that's a, that's a, that's a monogamous mindset, right? Yeah. It's like, well, it's I don't get to have that yeah. pinnacle relationship with you. Yeah. But if you're actually comfortable with where you are, yeah. then, then yeah. the conversations about making sure someone doesn't feel lesser don't come up. Because they yeah, don't yeah. want that spot. Yeah, you know, they're actually, not considering think, that the pinnacle. No, and I think the, the, the couple of partners that I'm kind of involved with at the moment, 
definitely wouldn't want that I don't think like they're really like I think neither of them are even looking for like uh, for a, a primary partner at all um like yeah it's like kind of doing solo poly I guess um yeah uh, yeah so yeah so actually that's that's me like projecting that you know that that obviously I feel like what I have at home here is the best thing. So why wouldn't they want to be part of the best? Of course, thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's always interesting to me because I think you know there are things like, for example, health is a big one in my life. So there are things like because um, I have um, autoimmune disease, I have um, systemic lupus. So I have times where I have I'm like not doing well, mm-hmm. and I have real physical challenges, and I have times where I don't, and you know, I, that's a big responsibility that he has, the person yeah. I married, that yeah. um, my girlfriend, who, to be fair, isn't nearby. Had she been nearby, she might take on part of that, but mm-hmm. she isn't nearby, but that's, that she doesn't have, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a responsibility she has to me. If, we're, if, if she wants to help out, it's one thing, but she doesn't have that responsibility. But in what we did in terms of marriage, we both consider that each other's health is our responsibility your sense? responsibility yeah, yeah. exactly so yeah. i guess we're, we're kind of nowhere near that at the moment partly because we like as you know i guess some people would say that we're not properly polyamorous because we still have this very central relationship but you know people you know they can do what they want with the, la- with the labels but also because uh, because all that our partnerships at the moment the outside our our marriage are so new that even if we were single we wouldn't be expecting any of those people to have those kind of responsibilities anyway because it is quite a lot more casual than that at the moment anyway yeah no but what i'm saying is is that for me even though we've been uh, i mean i've i've been involved with my girlfriend for a few years now Mm -hmm. i still wouldn't expect that i still it's just like it's like you might it's just not it's not the way that we structure our polyamory. But that's, yeah, that's one of the and beautiful things about polyamory, point. isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about polyamory is that every relationship, I think when people work within this kind of uh, heteronormative um, uh, constraint, every relationship is on this kind of relationship escalator where if right. you've been together for this many times or you live together, then you're expected to either want to get married or you're expected to take this kind of responsibility. Yep. And in poly, you, you have different people for different needs and yeah and then you don't have to force one partner to be what they cannot be because Indeed. you might you have someone else and it means that hopefully those relationships are all then a little bit easier in a way i mean that's my experience long term you know I, yeah. I i think where where i see not only in my own relationship but in the people that i've worked with over the years where issues come up um, around stuff like that, often it's because people are still, they don't realize how much conditioning they have. Mm. And they're still working on that very sort of heteronormative. And it's not, we say heteronormative, but the relationship escalator exists in gay relationships, lesbian relationships yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gay male relationships, not so much, but certainly in lesbian relationships, there's a lot of conditioning around, you know, it, you do this, then you move in together, then you raise yeah. a family together. And, you, you know, there's, there are these steps that people... Are expected to take and I, I think a lot of the issues that I see people developing around how they structure their non-monogamy is because they're still so conditioned from a very yeah, that's really monogamous yeah, that's something that's, I mean, like we always, I guess, uh, like I said, because we sometimes don't get to see each other as much as we would like. 
uh, there's always kind of a, a, a list in the back of my head of like, oh, this came up, you know, on this blog or in this podcast, and I'd really like love to chat that through just to kind of yeah get each other's perspectives on 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 everything. Yeah. So that's totally cool. I mean, you know that your central relationship fills certain functions. Yeah. And yeah, and I mean, almost all the functions, uh, but it's, it's, an, it's been, yeah, I mean, people, people sometimes talk about Polly as being greedy because, because I feel like I, I am totally fulfilled in my marriage, but it's nice to have the option of, of having these fulfilling relationships with other people. But in a way, I mean, it's very reductive to think of that as greedy because it then ignores the fact that for some people being Polly is kind of it's an identity rather than a behavior yes um yeah and I feel like you know throughout my monogamous relationship um I was attracted to other people and had huge crushes on other people but would just you know push them to one side um and I feel like as we've opened up I've become more uh, I think like a lot of people who open up they kind of open up and say if this doesn't work for either of us we can row back and I am feeling less able to, to, to do that if it was requested of me because if I feel like being poly is fulfilling something in me that, that I didn't have before, like the, the, the need and the ability to be able to, to have connections with, with more than one person. Um, whereas I feel that for my husband, it's more something that he's doing because it fits our lifestyle at the moment. And he's very happy with that. And both of us are happy with that. But I feel like maybe he, would, he could settle back into monogamy. Uh, if less less of an identity maybe for him. I mean that's interesting because there you know there's there are a number of people who propose that um, our orientations be looked at and in, in on more poles on mm. more uh, and so rather than just looking at heterosexual to homosexual that we look at um, a heterosexual to homosexual asexual to um, um, hypersexual mm. um, monogamous to relationship anarchy on the other end okay, yeah. um, and um, uh, as well as power submissive to, mm. to dominant and that actually all of these axes make up our sexual identity. Um, and so um, you can have changes in one area without changes in another. And, it, yeah. and when you start looking at all of that, you get a much more rich picture of people than when you're kind yeah. of restricted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense for me. Hmm. So what are the kinds of things that you hope to pursue in the future with this? Do you have things that you think about or are you guys just kind of going along together? Yeah, like a bit of a suck it and see, I think, yeah. Um, I guess uh, one of the other things that I thought would be useful to cover uh, in this session actually was um, uh, kind of on my kind of sexual journey. Mm. Uh, something that I'm kind of quite evangelical about now is the importance of teaching young girls um, the importance of teaching them to know their own body. Yeah. Um, because uh, I guess because of not feeling particularly sexual until I then had that kind of unfortunate experience with a boyfriend when I was 13, I didn't masturbate. Because, um, again, it was something that 
it was connected to an unpleasant experience. Right. And then when I got together with my um, now husband when I was 16, there was a kind of a slow introduction again into, into sex. And I don't know, I'd picked up this idea somewhere of because I have a regular sexual partner, I do not need to masturbate. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, and we were like, I was always very happy with our sex life. Like we were having great sex. I was really like having fun and really enjoying the sex, but it wasn't until I was away for a lot with work and bought my first vibrator, like in my late twenties, early thirties, even, um, that I had my first orgasm and I hadn't realized that I wasn't having them. And that's because I hadn't been masturbating. And I don't know how common that is. Maybe not that common because I, I feel very. like a lot of other... Yeah, okay, very. very. Uh, very. Yeah. I think there are lots of women out there who, because of shame or whatever, or laziness or whatever. Because, I mean, I think when I was a teenager, I did have the odd fumble down there. But as I now know, I'm quite a tough gig. It takes a lot to get me over the line. So I think I would have the odd fumble and think like, okay, I can feel something, but it's not worth pursuing. Um, I just didn't understand that, you know, actually, if you really work at it, then you know what's happening. And the fact that I, I'm thinking of women who maybe are having more sexual partners than I was certainly during my 20s. If you don't know how you work, how can you expect a partner to know? And it is yeah. tremendously um, unfortunate that this is an, a really common situation, yeah. that um, we still don't have sex education. And the reason is, in my view, is that we still don't have sex education that teaches pleasure. Yeah, because we so don't true. teach women anything about their own pleasure at all, mm -hmm. then it's kind of blind luck if you yeah. manage to figure it out. And if you're somebody whose anatomy makes it easy to reach orgasm, so so, so women who are um, who are who have large um, clitorises, for example, mm. find it easier to reach orgasm. Or even once, because I think that my clitoris is quite far away from the opening of my vagina. So that penetrative sex, you're never going to get any rubbing during that. Yeah, so, so you need to you yeah. need to have the anatomy. If you have the anatomy that makes orgasm relatively easy, then when they have a fumble with themselves, they figure it out. Yeah. Um, or they figure it out with partner pretty early on in mm -hmm. adolescence. But if that's not the case there's no information and sometimes we, girls learn about orgasm from their teddy bears and their and you know their, yeah. the things that they rub against but they don't make a connection between that and sex because nobody talks mm. to them about it mm. Mm. so from my perspective the reason one of the main reasons that so many women have no clue is because we just don't educate and then they enter yeah. their their adolescence and they enter their sexual relationships with no knowledge or getting their knowledge from pornography now oh, i'm yeah. i'm not really i'm not anti-porn i need to be really clear about that mm. but pornography doesn't teach what's going to get a girl off no right no. you know yeah. these girls have orgasms at the drop of a hat because most pornography yeah. is made for men so it's to make the guy feel good and so that then you get girls who are like well that's not how it works for me is there something wrong with me and it's it's awful yeah yeah, I've kind of spent a long time thinking that there's something wrong with me because it takes me so long to orgasm or because in general I need battery power, like because it's just, that's how I learned. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, actually, but, um, when you learn a particular way, branching out to other ways can become can be somewhat difficult, particularly yeah. if you learned late because you had trouble. Yeah. And making yeah. that kind of shift to other ways, you can do it, but it like it actually takes planning and work. Yeah, you need to like take the, take the afternoon off and yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. spend some time on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then you know, then the doxy's just there, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But then I kind of, I'm wondering whether I'm coming to terms now with thinking, do you know what, that's just how I get off. And, and actually, if, if anyone's going to not judge me for that, me, I need to not judge me for that. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. Like I said, still, still on the journey, continuing exploration of everything. Oh, you yeah. should be on the journey for your whole life, I hope. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the way that I look at these things that, um, you know, I, you get integrated and then you keep exploring. And there's more yeah. and there's always more because yeah. we always learn. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. I thank you so much for joining me. Um, oh, thank you. It's been great to chat. So for the people who have been listening, the topics that we've covered, the last topic we covered was really cool, which is this idea of knowing yourself and your body and how important it is for women in particular to learn what it is that turns them on so and gets them off so that they can communicate to partners. Um, we talked about the transition from monogamy through to polyamory with stops on the way and how polyamory and non-monogamy looks different for every person. And we talked about bisexuality and um, what finding your bisexual side can be like. If any of these resonate with you, or if you were triggered by any of this, please do email me at drbisby at theintimacycoach.com. That's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. You can find resources on the podcast page as part of the podcast notes. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and please write to me with suggestions for the show and any questions you want answered. Again, that's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. Do follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out my YouTube channel, which is Lori Beth Bisbee. And I also have a channel on the Bonbon Network. Please do leave a review on iTunes and or Stitcher if you like the show. And the next five people who do will receive a 10% discount on any of my services. Is non-monogamy for you? What about kink? BDSM, role play, take my free test and learn how to add that to your sex life. That's on my homepage, which is https colon forward slash forward slash the dash intimacy dash coach dot com. And you will see the button that says in yellow, take the test. Thanks for joining me. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.